Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. This is the word of God. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this morning... As we humble ourselves before your word, open our hearts to see and savor the Savior. Let us see the necessity for Jesus in our lives. Let us see his good work on our behalf and how it has changed us and continues to mature us into your likeness. And Lord, we pray for unity in Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to start at the beginning today. In Genesis 1, I told you we were starting at the beginning, we read that God created. God created the whole universe by his word. He spoke and the formless void was given structure and order. Night and day, land and water, animals, birds, and fish. He spoke, and the galaxies came into existence. And he created Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And God walked with them in the garden, the special place that he had given them. It was all great, Till one day, Adam and Eve chose to go out on their own. Now, Satan tempted them with lies about who God was and who they were. And they believed the lies. And they went out to make a, make a name for themselves apart from God. Now, this all resulted in alienation from God. The relationship broken torn apart by this rebellious act against God. We call this sin. Now, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, this, again, special place and special relationship with God, and all of creation was cursed as a result. Sin brought condemnation and strife into all of the created order, even, maybe especially, relationship. I already mentioned that Adam and Eve's sin meant their relationship God was broken, but it really changed humans' relationship 
with each other. In Genesis 4, we see two of Adam and Eve's sons have this bitter divide between them that led one to kill the other. Now, this is a story of Cain and Abel. Cain murdered Abel because of jealousy and hate. Some of the first fruits of sin that had entered the human heart. A few chapters later, we come to the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11.4 says this. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This might not sound that bad at first. But really, it was rebellion. Rebellion from God's command to multiply and fill the whole earth. Caring and acting as stewards of the resources that God had given them in creation. Now, this Tower of Babel construction project shows us humans' continued rebellion to make a name for themselves apart from God. And so, what happened? Well, God dispersed them and he confuses them by causing them to speak different languages and forcing them further apart. The result of their sin was further division and separation in relationship with each other. A further divide. Instead of knowing one another and working together for good, because of their propensity for rebellion, they were separated and divided. Divided into many languages and people groups apart from each other. And in our text for today, we get to fast forward to the joyful, good news part of the story. Because none of that that we started with was good news. Now we weren't created to live divided and separated from God and each other. And God has made a way for sinners to be reconciled to him and to each other. And that is through his son, who he sent to receive the punishment that was due us. So that we could be reconciled in relationship with him and with each other. What our sinful act divided, God's righteous act has reconciled and is continuing to restore. Now, if you're just joining us today, we're a few weeks into our series in the New Testament book of Ephesians. We've titled this series, United in Christ, and it serves as an emphasis for us here at Orchard as a church family this year. Now, there are many reasons that this is a fantastic theme for us. Namely, it comes from God's word. And we need his word, don't we? To guide us and to guard us as his followers. Now, this is a great theme because there's so much that threatens unity in Christ. First and foremost, our own sin inside the church. Now, any sins of the flesh in the church and in each one of us threaten her unity. Pride, jealousy, strife, lust, anger, malice. These things don't breed unity, do they? Now, that might not be the first thing you thought of, though. I know it's easy to think of all the things that threaten the church from the outside. 
but we're really more threatened by what's inside the church, what's inside our own lives. Let's start there. Even the Apostle Paul reminded the young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16 when he wrote this, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. So we need this unity in Christ. It's good for us to understand where it comes from and how it's even possible. And that's what our text today begins to unpack. Despite all the things that threaten to divide, not just in our age, but in all ages, it is Christ who has reconciled us at the deepest, most important place possible. And that's between us and God. That reconciliation is reflected in the new creation community that Christ has inaugurated in his kingdom here and now, even if we're still awaiting its full consummation. And this reconciliation is to be reflected in relationship with each other in the church and our posture and purpose in relationship towards those outside the church. In today's message that I've titled New Creation Community, we'll see that sin separated us, but in Christ, we've been brought near to God and to each other. You'll find an outline in your bulletin. Please follow along in your Bible as well. First, we'll remember the problem. Second, we'll remember the solution before looking at his workmanship unfolding. And finally, we'll consider how he continues his work through the church. Now our text in verse 11, it starts with a therefore. A therefore means that the words that follow are an implication that's coming from what has preceded. (laughs) It means that last week's sermon is really important for this week's sermon. Last week we learned that those in Christ are his workmanship. He works in us and we produce good works. Now subsequently, there isn't a category for believing in Christ, but not producing good works. Now, works are not the basis of our salvation, but they are evidence of it. Our salvation is all by grace through faith in Christ. It wasn't something we earned or worked our way to. After connecting what he's about to say to what he just said, Paul says to remember. Remember. The content of their remembering is really humbling. Verse 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Man, Paul, brutal. This humbling remembering would call to mind two things. Number one, that Jews and Gentiles were enemies and bitterly divided. And number two, that the Gentiles had no hope of a promised Messiah like the Jews. They had no specific religious affiliation that gave them bearing 
or hope. Number one, the Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Now, Gentiles were referred to by the Jews as the uncircumcision, and this was a derogatory term to speak of them. It was, it was like a slur about the Gentiles. They were outsiders, and they were not part of God's covenants with Israel. But it wasn't just hate from the Jews to the Gentiles. It went in both directions. Preacher and Bible commentator Kent Hughes tells us, the Jews were known as the homicidal enemies of the human race in Gentile parlance. And for generations, the Jews were known as a conquesting, segregating group of people. The divide between them was deep. They weren't just uninterested in each other. They weren't annoyed with each other. They hated each other. But it wasn't just name-calling either. It was actually illegal for a Jew to help a Gentile woman in need during childbirth because it was said that that will just result in another heathen in the world. I mean, consider seeing someone in a moment of need like that of childbirth where two lives potentially hang in the balance and choosing to look the other way so that it would cause death. That's hate. It's not indifferent. It's set against in a wicked way. It would be the equivalent to today, not calling for help or calling 911 if you saw someone dying on the side of the road and then thinking to yourself, they deserve to die and allowing them to lay there and slowly die. This remembering didn't just call to mind their hate for each other. It also reminded the Gentiles that they were cut off from the promises that were made to the Jews. The Gentiles weren't part of God's chosen nation, Israel. Now the Jews, of course, knew of God's promises to them. The Gentiles may have been familiar with them too. But the Gentiles were the outsiders to the promises of hope in the future. It's not hard to imagine, is it, that at the end of any Middle Eastern day, there weren't warm and fuzzy fireside chats between these two groups? Now think for a minute, if you're a Gentile in this context, think of the aimlessness. Think of the darkness, the hopelessness, because of the alienation from God and from his people. A famous psychologist and actually a Nazi prison camp survivor, Viktor Frankl, has a saying that I've always found meaningful. Frankl says, he who has a why can live with any how. Now, Paul says of the Gentiles in our text today, you had no why, no reason to keep living. You were without hope and without God in the world. We talk a lot about remembering here at Orchard. We talk a lot about remembering Christ's sacrifice. And we'll get there today in our passage, actually. But we don't talk a lot about remembering when we were without God 
and without hope in the world. Paul tells the Ephesians to do just that. So let me ask you, do you remember when you were without Christ? Now, maybe it's hard to remember the problem in this sense. To remember when you were without hope or without God in the world. Maybe like me, you've grown up in the church and you've heard the gospel message thousands of times and it feels hard to remember before you knew that hope or had heard of it. If it is, maybe you haven't been dealing with your sin regularly. Maybe what you feel like is victory is actually callousness. Because considering the bitter taste of sin and the division and the destruction that it causes is sure humbling. When seen from this angle, it's not hard at all to remember the problem. To remember that life without Christ is a terrible, hopeless thing. And it's frightening to consider that sin. My sin being allowed to rule in my life. It's frightening because it feels empty of joy and full of fruit of the flesh, of which there will be a severe judgment. So if you struggle to remember what feeling without hope is like, just take a moment to consider your sin and the devastation and division that it causes Or maybe you can remember your life before Christ vividly because you've come to Christ recently in faith. You've recently tasted and seen that the Lord is good and his mercies are new every morning. You do remember the alienation of life without Christ. It is good, though sometimes painful, to remember this. To remember who we were before the love of God reached down to us. And began to transform us. Now this produces gratitude, this grace. That turns to worship. That spurs our energy to serve Christ and to build his kingdom here. To enjoy fellowship with him through his word and prayer. And fellowship with his people, the church. This is a natural working of God's spirit in us when we come to Christ in salvation. Now, remembering the problem helps us remember the solution to the problem then, doesn't it? Now, sin separated us from God and each other, but God provided the solution in his son, Jesus Christ. Remembering that we were at one time without hope and without God reminds us how great this news of Christ's salvation is. That there's a savior, one to reconcile us to God. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, again, in contrast, the Jews were said to be near God. They were his chosen people. But the Gentiles did not share in that nearness. They were thought of as far away from God. Now, our concept of far and near is probably pretty different today than it was then. 
I mean, you could get in your car, drive to the airport, and be almost anywhere in the world within 24 to 30 hours from right now. Their concept of near and far was different in a day of camel and donkey transportation. Distance was more insurmountable then than it is today. Now they had to walk or, or ride animals. Today you get in your car and drive a mile and you expend almost no energy. Or you just pick up the phone, even when a loved one's in another state and you can catch up and talk to them. The Gentiles were galaxies away from God. They were so far from him, that they weren't really on the map. They were without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now they have been brought near. Can you think of better news to a Gentile? Galaxies away, but he's brought them near to himself. Paul also gives some detail about how they had been brought near. Their shared nearness to God and to each other was in Christ and by his blood. We cannot miss the significance of this before we move on to the implications of it and the rest of the passage. Paul brings us clarity that Christ didn't bring some kind of universal human unity without cost or stipulation. Unity is in Christ. It's only in Christ that this nearness to God and to others is found. We won't find a unity at this depth in community without Christ. So how did Christ bring this unity with God and with other believers? By his blood. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross was essential to bring those far away near. The solution to this problem of sin that destroyed unity and community was the blood of Christ. Consider for a moment what the solution wasn't. It wasn't intellectual unity and similar thought or philosophy for life. It wasn't political unity through conquest or a, a strong commander. This unity with God and with mankind comes through, comes spiritually by the blood of Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you're unsure if you know the hope of this unity that's in Christ and by his blood. And things maybe don't seem as bad as I've described them, or maybe they do. Maybe the alienation you feel is significant. You've wondered how it can be healed. You've wondered how you can have peace. Now the solution to the problem of being far off is being in Christ. And we can be in Christ because of his blood shed for us. If you want to know this hope, one thing is required of you. And that's your faith in Christ as Savior. That means acknowledging that you've sinned against God. That's the problem. And that his death and blood shed for you on the cross paid the penalty for sin. The gift of God is offered to you because of his love and by his grace. 
And subsequently, he will never leave you or forsake you. But it will cost you everything. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Surrender to Jesus today. Find your life in him. If you do, we want to help you grow in Christ and to dive deeper into the Bible, his word and his instruction to us. If this is you this morning, placing your faith in Christ, then talk to one of the pastors here. Talk to one of the men or women who are already devoted followers of Jesus here at Orchard. We would love to live in community with you and to pursue Jesus with you. Now, one of our regular rhythms here at Orchard is to remember the problem and its solution each Sunday morning before this preaching service. We remember that God has given us a solution. And the bread and the cup at the Lord's table symbolize Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us. And this draws our hearts together in unity to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus. If you've been visiting Orchard and you haven't been to that service yet, join us as we remember that we were without God and without hope in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by his blood. And we've remembered the problem this morning and the solution. And now let's look to what his workmanship unfolding looks like. Last week, Lars exposited verse 10 of this passage that says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It was God's workmanship. We are new creatures in Christ. And we're created anew to do good works. This is starting to sound a lot like that plan we talked about at the beginning, isn't it? Where God created us and his intent was our good work with him in creation. That we would be his stewards of what he'd created and given to us and resource and time and talent. What our sin divided and destroyed in the garden, God is recreating by reconciling and restoring in Jesus Christ. He's bringing us back to him. Verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, in bringing us near to God and near to each other, Christ's blood achieved three things and they will be reflected in his workmanship unfolding in our new creation community, okay? Now, this list, these three things, isn't exhaustive. It's just what shows up in our text today. Probably going to get some more next week. Number one, Christ's work set aside the law 
as a divisive instrument. Number two, Christ's work made one new humanity. And number three, Christ's work has reconciled this new humanity to God. So number one, Christ's work, his bloodshed, set aside the law as a divisive instrument. Now, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, he said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but that he came to fulfill it. So is Paul contradicting Jesus here? Or how does this fit together? Well, Jesus was talking about the moral law. Now, Jesus himself, he lived a sinless life. He upheld and fulfilled the moral law of God. He never broke it. This meant that his blood shed was exactly what we needed. He was a pure sacrifice that could pay the penalty for sin. Now, Paul is talking about the ceremonial law, the rules and regulations that Israel was given that made them unique and set apart from the Gentiles. In Christ, we no longer need circumcision, continued material sacrifices and dietary regulations, rules and rituals about cleanness and uncleanness. Christ has abolished the need for that ceremonial law. We no longer need the law as a divisive instrument that divides and separates Jew from Gentile in this way. Christ has abolished it. So now in Christ, not through the law, everyone has access to God. Verse 14, Paul says that Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now this was an actual wall in the temple area that divided Jews from Gentiles. There was a list of rules for who could go past this wall in the temple area and who couldn't. You know, at the time of this letter's writing, when Paul wrote this to the people at Ephesus, this wall in the temple area was still there. <laughs> but it had already been made obsolete because Jesus' death and his blood shed, bringing Jew and Gentile together. All people now have access to God through or in Christ. <laughs> this is the most revolutionary thing that's ever happened in the history of creation. What sin divided, Christ has brought back together. The second thing that our text tells us is that Christ's blood achieved one new humanity. Verse 14 again, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And then verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. This new race isn't divided by hostility. They've been given peace with each other because they've been made one in Christ. Now, in Christ, there is now one new humanity instead of the former two, Jew, Gentile. In Christ, we're one. The dividing wall that was part of the regulations for the temple that served to keep Jews and Gentiles apart, no need for it. Later in Ephesians, we're going to see this unpacked in this verse in chapter 4. It says this, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <laughs> we are being made into his likeness now. Together with all those who call on the name of Christ as Savior, we're being made into his likeness. Now they, right, this whole group, they might not like the same things you do. They might root for a different team. Maybe it's the rival to your team. They might prefer different styles in music or art or vacation destinations. It might be someone who's never been to America. Someone who doesn't wear shoes or wear clothes like you or speak your language. You know what? They might not even, they might not even have the whole Bible in their language yet. But we'd call them brothers and sisters because we're one family with them in Jesus Christ. And we submit to the same Savior. The same Lord and Master is who we follow and serve. What sin and separation has divided and destroyed in relationship with each other, God is bringing back together in Christ. Now, forgive me if all of that seemed obvious. But because of our sin, we get kind of this myopic view of what this new humanity, the church, looks like. Every one of us gets conditioned to think that it'll, it'll look like our brand and our style. But that's the beautiful thing. It's, this is just marvelous. It, it looks like a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says it'll look like at the end of creation when all are joined together with Christ on the throne. Let's rejoice in this vision of his people, of this one new race that he has joined together in him. Now, the third thing that Christ's blood achieved for us is that it reconciled this new humanity to God, the creator that we all rebelled against. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There was hostility from us to God. Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Romans 8.7 for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Reconciliation makes more sense when we understand that we needed it in the worst way. We were his enemies, alienated from him because of our sin. And we were fighting against his love and his law that is good for us. And now, because of his blood, he's killed the hostility between us. He's made peace. 
a peace at a level that no human and no government could ever do. Christ made peace between God and humankind and between humans and each other. In a way, this is, it's so foundational in the whole universe that one day he'll recreate the whole thing. New heavens, new earth that will never pass away. That's the depth of the divide between God and his creatures. He had to remake all of it. And he's doing that in his son, Jesus. And when closing, what does it look like now as Christ is continuing his work through the church? Now, really, this could have been the same point with the last one. His workmanship continuing to unfold. He's worked in those who are his and is now continuing his work through his people, the church. Brothers and sisters, we have been given this very message the message that contains the problem that we were without hope and without God in the world and the message that contains the solution. But now God has brought us near through the blood of Christ. He is our peace and he has made us one with one another and reconciled us to God, putting the old ceremonial system behind. There is no other message like this. There is nothing that gives lasting hope and security like this. <laughs> there is no God like our God who reconciles sinners to himself in perfect love and perfect justice or who reconciles enemies to each other as one new human race. <laughs> so what are we to do? Well, we have the message of reconciliation. We have the message that allows for diversity in ways that reveal God's goodness and grace Pastor and commentator Tody Merida says this in his commentary in Ephesians. The main way that we work to cultivate diversity is by proclaiming the gospel. We wholeheartedly agree with Pastor Merida. Our message that leads to diversity and inclusion that matters and reconciliation is that sinners can turn away from their sins and bow to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in Christ that we can be reconciled in a way that we need it most. And that is with our creator that we all rebelled against. And from this position of reconciliation with the Father, we are also then reconciled with all those who call on Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, it's imperative that we reflect this, reflect this in our relationship with each other in the body. Speaking of anger against the brother, Jesus says this in Matthew 5. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. There's something that's wildly inconsistent and wrong if we live life as if we're reconciled to God, but pay no attention to a lack of reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ. Now, there are many difficult situations that we need wisdom and discernment about. Brothers and sisters still fight sometimes. We don't see eye to eye on everything. 
It isn't easy. On the contrary, these may be some of the hardest, painful situations in life. As a pastor, I've seen it and walked with people through it. The discord that can come up between husband and wife, brother and sister, Christ. Get help. If, if you're in that situation, if you need counsel and wisdom, get it. Seek it. Be humble. Consider others better than yourself. Consider your sin. But don't stop considering your Savior. This side of heaven, our posture is to be one of forgiveness in pursuit of reconciliation. But sometimes the other party doesn't have the same posture. What then? Well, remain in the posture that your Savior has. Pray and seek the Lord in his wisdom. You don't need to be a doormat. Don't submit to abuse. We've, re- we've talked about reconciliation in the body of Christ. What about reconciliation outside the body? How are we to participate and encourage that? It's all about the gospel of Jesus. We reveal Christ in our words and in our message. We reveal Christ in our fellowship with each other. It's a sweet aroma. And we want the world to see that in the body of Christ, even those who used to be enemies have been reconciled to each other. So we start with the gospel. It gets more nuanced and challenging to answer large systemic questions about racism and hatred in the world. We know it's because of sin, the beginning of the story, the divide that sin brought in. But we are to care about these problems in our culture and in our world. We're to pray over them, participate in them in good ways as his body that bring healing where there's been wounding. There are political solutions that the world may come up with. Many of them good. We can be hopeful about that and participate in that. Some of them are bad, and we shouldn't participate in that. But church, (laughs) church, Christ's bride... We have the message that leads to the deepest, most intimate, most needed reconciliation that humans can have, and that's in Jesus Christ. We won't ever graduate past that message. And until Christ returns, the world won't stop needing that message. So we proclaim it. And we praise God that he has acted by sending his son that we would be reconciled with him and with each other. This is the new creation community that we are called to live in, in Christ. Please stand, and I'll close in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for this message of reconciliation and hope. We're so thankful that you in your foreknowledge and love and sovereignty sent your son at the right time to die for the ungodly. His blood paying the penalty 
that we can never could. And God, as your redeemed people, we want to, to be a city on a hill. We want to be salty. We want to be faithful with the message. We want our fellowship to be unified so that it is a sweet aroma. We need your spirit's help with this. We need your guidance and your leading. Lord, thank you for your word that is a guide to us. Give us the courage we need to continue to follow you humbly in this message. Go with us and make our path straight as we go. In Christ's name, amen.